Yeah. All right, guys, welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 70. I'm Dan. I'm Brentley. And before we jump into it, I'm going to remind you guys to please like, comment, subscribe, and share this if you want. And if you feel so bold and you want to help us continue doing this stuff, donate. We'll be happy to take your money. <laughs> Links in the description. Links in the description. With all of that said, I am incredibly excited today to be joined by our guest, um, the great, legendary Paul Masvidal, someone who I consider a living musical legend. Paul is an American guitarist, a songwriter, and producer. Um, he's a guitarist and singer and founding member of the band Cynic, of which you've been a member for about three decades now, correct? Yeah. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for coming on and welcome, you know, thanks for talking to us. I'm very oh, excited to be here with you guys. It's really, um, I'm, I'm happy to share some time with you and, and get into it. So I wanted to kind of, I guess, start at the beginning because many of our viewers might not be familiar with your music. We have a wide range of viewers. You know, you got your start very early on and in the first, I guess, wave of death metal, what we would call the death metal scene in Florida at the time in the early 90s, late 80s, late 80s early 90s. And you were, in a sense, sort of discovered. I don't know if I want to use that word but taken under the wing of the very well-known Chuck Schuldiner of the band Death. And you and your very dear friend, who we're also going to talk about, um, Sean Reiner, uh, appeared on this record, Human. Yeah. And that record, I would say, is probably one of the most important records in metal music. I think it, you know, it was a turning point for Death as a band, but it was also, I think, a turning point in music in general. So I kind of wanted to start there, you know, like how, how did you get involved in the scene early on and what turned you on to like heavier music? How did you meet Chuck? How did you meet Sean? And, you know, how did this whole sort of thing form and start? Well, uh, Sean and I met in elementary school we were basically introduced by a mutual friend i as the only guitar player and drummer in the school and uh and we made music the day we met we literally just had this incredible chemistry um and connection and by that afternoon after school that day i was in his in his bedroom jamming with him you know i brought my guitar over and uh so that was real early childhood forged friendship that was really beyond my understanding it was just deeply connected and uh and then i was deep into the the underground tape trading scene you know throughout like really kind of junior high into high school and everything so i was constantly tape trading sending letters you know, you're making mixtapes for people and um and just sharing kind of music we were all just turning each other on to stuff and yeah. I had that experience too, but not with tapes. My generation had it with CDs. Yeah. Right. It was the yeah. same, same sort of thing, you know, and literally right before like iPods and things like that started to come out. But I also came of age during that era. So I'm kind of in that like in between. That's cool. Yeah. I remember doing the CDs. That was awesome. You could just burn Burst, CDs. Yeah. And, yep. yeah. <laughs> I still like CDs. They're cool. Um, but yeah, so we, we ended up kind of in that scene really heavy duty and it just it was a real underground scene but it was deep and there was people from all over the world so we used to just live to go get to our mailbox and get mail to get a letter from somebody you know and it's all handwritten i mean this was the old days so it was something really special you got to know somebody differently 
just by their handwriting. You know, it was very kind of indicative of their personality, just the way they wrote. And some people wrote really like they were in a hurry. Some people wrote beautifully. Some people it was just like terrible handwriting. But it was it was all part of the who they were as this pen pal that you didn't really otherwise know any other way. Um, there, there is there is something, I guess, kind of lost now in our modern society with tech and the way that we communicate, you know, despite like the trade-offs and the benefits of it, it's really interesting to think about that, like the loss of handwriting. And like, I know yeah. cursive isn't like taught in a lot of schools. Anymore. I know. Crazy. Yeah, it's kind of a lost art and it's pretty trippy. I don't know if you guys ever had your, your handwriting analysis done, but I had a lady one time I sat next to on an airplane that said that that's what she did for a living. And she's like, just write a paragraph. And I wrote a paragraph and she nailed me. She just like laid out my whole personality based on it was incredible. I was like, there's, it's interesting how handwriting does. There's a whole thing to that, but I need to look into that more. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so uh, because of the underground scene, like, you know, a bunch of us friends, just one, you know, I started, I think it was, I started, I wrote Chuck somehow, you know, I got his address, his mom's house where he was living in Orlando, which is like four hours north of Miami. We were like the city kids, but a lot of that Florida scene was north of us. And it was more like, kind of like the South up there. It felt like almost like a different world, you know, but but we that's where we were kind of connecting with because Miami didn't really have as much of a scene it was more different just more eclectic kind of all over the place and but I got Chuck's you know kind of mailing address and we started writing letters and they sent me his demo tapes and next thing you know I think my friend Steve another childhood friend gave me his phone number and I called him and we just started to talk on the phone which was really cool and he felt like a big brother to me yeah, I was going to ask you, like, you know, what what was he like? What was your, like, general impression? Just, of him? like, super chill, you know? He was just, like, a laid-back stoner kind of dude who just, like, wanted to play his guitar and just yeah. chill. And, you know, like, it was really these later years that I felt like things, you know, this other side of his personality came out that was stressful and caused a lot of problems. And it was, I think it was a combination of things that was rooted in, you know, anxiety over that not having not having really a lot of trust in the music business because everyone was just, especially then, just a shark and they're just taking yeah. advantage of you and you're signing these crazy deals and so it was a lot of like people that you couldn't trust and he had a lot of anxiety around that and then a part of me wonders if, you know, when you have brain cancer, which is what killed him at 34 years old you know, it can grow in different parts of your brain and it can affect parts of your personality. And a lot of us sets were wondering like, man, was all that like weird shit that happened in those later years? Was it because he had a fucking tumor coming in a part of his brain? You know, honestly, it, it really could have been. I'm yeah. sure it definitely. And even if it wasn't the tumor, for sure, I'm, I'm sure the stress of the situation and just going through that, knowing how bad it is and all of that. And yeah. the fact that he was able to tough it out too and still like write I music. Mean, it's incredible how like he pushed through and still yeah. busted out a bunch of records after all that shit went yeah. down. Yeah, iconic but, records too. Iconic records. Oh like, yeah, yeah. No, today, sure. you know? 
yeah, he was like a, you know, he had a real formula and a vessel. He was like a vessel for a sound and it really became his own and it was yes. like his thing. And it just, you always can recognize death, you know, yeah. it was just like, it became his thing. And he knew to keep it like a certain, he was very much keeping it within certain parameters and just very disciplined about that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we just became friends and I started to like, I actually, first time I worked with Chuck was I went on tour with him when I was in high school. Like he kicked out his guitar player during Le when Leprosy was, he was promoting the album Leprosy, which I think came out in 89. Yeah. And I was in high school and he's like, hey, bro, I need help. I, I just, you know, I, I, I think, I don't know if he kicked him out or what they had a falling out, but the guitar player was out of the band. And he's like, can you come do some shows? And I was like, sure. <laughs> you know, like, so. Isn't it, isn't it crazy how like a phone call like that, just a conversation of that sort, you know, one, one being one soul reaching out in that way in one moment can like set a whole life path. I you know. know. Send you down this whole road that you yeah. may have gone down if that had Full ever happened. on. Yeah. I mean, to think it was those years before of, developing trust uh, from writing letters, phone calls, we became friends, you know, and, and I think we had probably hung out and maybe jammed together a few times before that phone call. But it was like, he just knew and maybe in the back of his mind, he kind of knew what he was doing, like yeah. I'm gonna bring Paul in at some point. I think I think he was like that, you know, so recently I watched the documentary Death by Metal and it, it yeah. gave a lot of insight into him. And he was very particular like that, it seemed like he definitely wanted to select the correct people that he felt could bring out the vision that he had for whatever he was writing, whatever record, but also like add something unique that that was like from them. And, you know, that's the thing about the record Human that you and Sean appeared on. It's like you being on that record helped push the sound further. But at the same time, I think he knew that. He knew that bringing you on would add those elements that he was looking for. Yeah, for sure. That was like the producer in him that was like looking to expand and push the envelope. And I think with a lot of that death metal stuff, a lot of those guys started realizing how much more brutal can you get? You know, it's like, it starts like the brutal wars become tiresome and you're like, what else can I do? And a lot of them got yeah. more technical and proggy, you know? Yeah. Like and that, that's a, that's one thing too, I noticed about him and something I wanted to discuss in here as well in regards to cynic, but in just sticking on death really quick with, with Chuck, you know, he founded this sort of style or helped find it found it um death metal the shock value stuff you know zombies and gore and like demons and stuff and it was cool and he was a part of that and then you could tell he really did get tired of uh being pigeonholed into that yeah and i think he started to see like this thing he helped create started to become generic and he well, wanted to get away from it later yeah. so when you listen to death's later music and i think human is that turning point it is but, you yeah. know you get to symbolic and then you know individual thought patterns the themes change he, he wants sure. to not focus on the shock value stuff it's you know what about you know suffering what about life why are we here you know yeah. he wanted to ask these deeper questions about life and and he wanted to show like you can do that in metal metal doesn't have to be all yeah metal. so it's true and he came from such that old school scene that was so kind of caveman do you yeah. know what I mean? That he was really, and he was just kind of nerdy Jewish guy from <laughs> Central Florida. You know, he was just like, 
he really just wanted uh, so i think that's what it is he was just trying to like get out of the, those boxes and push the genre forward and say we don't have to sing about horror themes and gore and we can do other things and still be brutal and i'm, I'm thinking about uh the interview with him in the cat shirt on <laughs> yeah things like that just trying to break that mold you know of how metal people were perceived at the time and you know this is this is a good lead in to cynic you know when you formed cynic and you know this is the thing about you guys and when i tell other people about this band and what cynic is and it's like here's a band that kind of came around and started this new sound that i guess the metal scene just really wasn't ready for you know you, you came out you may focus that record well you did an ep right first and then you we had demos yeah demos. we had a bunch of demos yeah so you do that one record in 1993 um you guys play shows from what i understand you weren't very well received by the metal community no. and cynic breaks up um you go off you do other things you do eon spoke you you wrote music for television right you in small smallville and shows like that which is really cool we can talk about that stuff too and then what happens is this art this this thing that you created with sean and sean and you know it's grew legs of its own and just went off did its own thing and had this impact this influence that even you yourself i think did not perceive or couldn't even have imagined i guess and then yeah. in 2008 you guys you you get back together you decide to to reform and to to try this again and i guess at that point the scene was ready so you know we mentioned earlier and you and i were talking before the show you know you're gay brent and i are gay and at that time metal like you said you mentioned the caveman mentality and stuff it very much it's a very masculine type of genre and and I mean, in like the stereotypical way of like skulls and like brutalness and all that stuff. And it can feel strange to be like an outsider in that way, in that type of scene and not quite feel like, oh, well, am I the right kind of man to be here? And recently we had um, um, Nicole on from the band Collius, who you should check out. Um, my friend JP plays drums for them. And one of the discussions we had too was about women in metal. And we had a similar kind of talk about this and how the scene has changed over time. So do you think at the time being a gay man in metal and did that contribute at all to feeling like you could make those creative decisions that stepped out of the box, like clean singing, uh, the robot, oh, the vocals and, because yeah. you know, I'm already this weird person in a sense. And you know, gay people, queer people, people who don't fit into the straight norm, we are typically like stereotyped as being very creative. We're the ones who like innovate, come up with new ideas. And when when you first came out, it definitely it made me feel a certain way, like, wow, you know, this genre that I love so much was partly founded by a gay man. And there was something to that. I think it was important. So, you know, I was happy when you did, you and Sean did that. But, you know, I guess talk a bit about that in that early, those early days of Cynic and when you guys came out and how you were received and how you felt maybe being in the closet and all of that. Yeah, it was, I mean, early on, it was pretty rough, you know? I mean, it was gnarly. <laughs> it was we had to weather some tough shit, you know, cause people were just default. It was just acceptable to be homophobic in the yeah. scene. Like it was just like, that's like faggots are fucking, you know, you're gonna suck dick, you fucking faggot, you know? I mean, it was just really aggressive homophobic terms that were just part of the, the lingo in that scene. And 
it took a while for us to kind of, I mean, we had to first come out to ourselves, which we did pretty young, right? You know, probably I'd say even late teens, early 20s, like we came out to ourselves and then we started to tell our friends and then people in the scene and little by little. And then it wasn't until I think 2000, uh, 14. Yeah, that, we, that, that, that was like a public thing public that thing, we, yeah. but we, you know, people knew in our inner circle and stuff. We just didn't want to make a thing of it just because yeah. we felt like suddenly you'll become that gay band, you yeah. know, because the two founding guys are gay. And, yeah. but we were just like, fuck it. Like, I remember at some point we're just like, it's our duty at this point because we're thinking about what we went through. And then all the younger people out there now who are in the same position, we got to talk about this, you know? Um, so it was rough. I mean, it was a lot of, we had to really stand up for ourselves. And I, you know, I dealt with bullying. I got in a lot of fights. You know what I mean? I, to this day, if, if I walk down the street and someone says faggot, like I, I generally will confront them. You know what I mean? I don't let that happen anymore. Like, I used to just, depending on their size, you know, <laughs> turn around and keep walking. But And I have one incident only I can think of where someone used that word and really meant it against us. And I did confront them. I was like, you got on New Jersey. Oh, I got New Jersey on him real quick. I was like, <laughs> yeah. come say that to my face. And he like pushed past all these people and trained and ran away. But yeah, I mean, and that's it it's like a lot of times it's just a bunch of bark you know and people just being foolish and um and i i think but we did had to toughen up and we it was but it also it also became you know when we were coming out around like really coming into our own as gay men sean and i you know this was early 90s like in miami all of like aids was peaking yeah it was like, and a lot of boys from New York were coming to Miami to die. There was a whole scene that were coming down for the weather down here. So we were surrounded by queer, dying, gay community. And wow. it was like, it was intense, man. And so it pushed us back into the closet actually, because I was like, I really wanted to hook up and be a gay man, but I, um, and know what it was like and i i i was so scared you know so we both curiously i think it was an interesting thing that happened was we just went further in and then we just practiced more and became more intense about our craft and our art and we dedicated we just put everything all of that suppressed queer energy that was would have been expressed probably if that hadn't happened it went into just the music and I think a lot of that ex deep expression and the energy and the, the, the all that stuff that's coming through that that music is was really informed by the our oppressed our queer selves that were just trying you know it was just we were pushing it through that outlet and it was it took years for me to realize that you know yeah. what I mean to just like put that together it was like oh shit yeah we we didn't want to die. We were scared because everyone was dying and we were super young. And, you know, all you knew is if you did anything with someone or hooked up, you could get sick. So it was just like, fuck, okay, fucking practice more. Let's just make this shit happen and just become sick musicians. So we just really gave ourselves to the music and 
thankfully we had bandmates that had that similar camaraderie. We were all in it together. You know, it was a real collective effort, which helps too. We were all kind of pushing each other. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah. there's something to that, you know, taking one's struggles and, and turning it into something productive, into creation, yeah, to, you know, sure. an expression, it's therapeutic. It helps us process the stuff we're going through. And as much as sometimes, you know, it can sometimes feel like a curse to be an artist because you just you're compelled to make things and you know i'm a painter i'm a drummer i'm a poet and it's a really hard thing to monetize that it but, is you know yeah. at, at the same time it's like it's it's a blessing because we have those outlets we have something really powerful that we can put those emotions into and then we get something in the end as a result that you know, other people can enjoy and it helps them helps oh. them so it's awesome you know and i wouldn't trade the path of music for anything it's a great blessing in a sense that i can do this thing that satiates everything in me you know what i mean it kind of takes care i mean even i i would say even like spiritual aspirations and stuff like that they get merged into into a music making process like it all becomes one thing so, so having creative a creative path and outlet is like it becomes the, my whole, it be, it's become my whole life. Do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. no separation at this point. I just, I live there, you know, it's like all one thing, but it is, it really, it saves lives, man. Yes. You know? And it saved my life, even as a young person that grew up listening to music and being a fan of art and stuff. It's so it, it is a huge, generous, thing that we get to do and give back right it's like you make it and then you offer it and it's uh it's a really it's a really a wonderful thing to have that i i feel like everybody has it they just don't realize it to some degree everybody has some artist in them right i mean it was i don't know if it was john lennon or someone that said every child is an artist until they're told they're not you know which is heartbreaking to think, think that that may have been him perhaps yeah someone said that so, you know, speaking of art in general, but going back to, to music and to metal specifically, and one of the reasons I always was attracted to metal, um, you know, despite what some of the older generation told me about what they thought of it as a music genre, like my grandma, <laughs> uh, I was attracted to it because it was an angry, aggressive style. And, you know, as a, in a closeted, you know, gay person and growing up just very angsty in the weird situation that I grew up in, metal was an outlet for me having that community and and that style of music and i always felt you know anger is a valid emotion and we need a place to put that and it's it's just as valid to have music that is angry as it is to have music that is calm or peaceful or or sad it's just as legitimate uh not everyone might enjoy it that's fine or romantic or funny or romantic but it's cathartic and we were talking about this on our last episode with uh nicole of, of Callius that there's a catharsis about it and do you think like maybe your sexuality and dealing with that might be part of the reason you were even attracted to the heavier styles of music in the first place and ended up in that situation? Yeah. You know, you know in that macho world, you know, seemingly. Yeah. I, mean, I can definitely see the correlation there. And I mean, the thing is, is like, I had rage, I think, from early childhood, just coming from multiple divorces, a lot of confusion in my home. I was um, a, a very introspective and empathetic kid that 
kind of went inward and just like just kind of shut down and and then my mom was just like what the fuck's wrong with you and and she put me in therapy at a young age so i always say my joke is i was raised by therapists and i think they saved saved my ass in a way because i got to like ventilate a lot of stuff and find pathways for all these thought processes and started to realize oh wait no i'm responsible for this it's not their fault it's not the world's but it's like you stop being a victim right Right. And, um, but yeah, man, it's, you know, so I, I, you know, they say like, it's like rage. Some kids are just come in angry, man. Some kids, some babies are just pissed. You know, they're like, yeah. parents look at their kids and they're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Why is my kid pissed already? And some kids are just like happy and bubbly, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting. They have like, they're like fully programmed before their parents have even gotten in the way, you know? Um, but yeah, there was a lot there, man. And and the music became an outlet to work through a lot of stuff and deep emotions. And I remember by the time we made Focus, I was running around saying, I'm not angry anymore. I don't, and it was like, I was kidding myself because yes. it's- I know what that's like. <laughs> you know what I mean? You think yeah. you're like, you got there and you're like, holy shit. I, I didn't deal so with it. It's like, I still have all this shit in me. I haven't even addressed oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And it just comes up. So, you know, you mentioned spirituality earlier, and this is another subject that I wanted to get on. And this is a good branching point too, talking about aggression and, and metal. And, you know, one of the things about spirituality that I realized over the years is a huge part of the process is reconciling that darkness inside of ourselves, you know, seeing it, uh, shining a light on it, right? Healing, processing that stuff. And maybe there's something to that in, in metal, you know, and that's kind of one of the roles that it serves as a musical genre is helping us face that darkness in ourselves, mm -hmm. seeing it, which I think is a very legitimate spiritual pursuit. Oh, dude, that's like super advanced work. I mean, Carl Jung's whole thing was shadow yeah. work, you know, it's like shadow. Yep. embracing the shadow, man, and just like in and meeting it. And that's very much a practice in, in Buddhism and all those. It's like you have to you have to meet the enemy, you know, and the enemy is, is you, you know, <laughs> it's like and like a lot of times, I mean, we're in a very divided world right now and it's makes me sick actually to see what's going on and i'm with you guys 100 percent. i've watched some of your stuff and we're all on the same page just so you know that and i i have to come back to a spiritual perspective and say okay i see what's going on uh this is all about divide and divide and conquer right put yeah. everybody and then control right and all this stuff but this has been going on for thousands of years. It's yeah. like the way of our species. Yeah. We, and we, we can get into the weirder stuff too a little later. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You know, the, you know the, the aliens and all that. And we will definitely get into that. But you mentioned Buddhism. And this, this is the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about with you was, you know, your interest in, in Eastern philosophy and just how unique and new that was to be added to the metal world. And I feel like it's an, it's another thing you did first that other people weren't doing in that scene. You know, it's like, again, like Satanism, demons, like cool stuff, interesting, but all Western philosophy stuff, you know, Judeo-Christian tradition. And so I always found it fascinating, uh, just that Cynic as a band did that, you know, the first track, Veil of Maya, right on the record. 
Yeah. I'm sure when people first heard that, they were like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> this is not metal, you know? Oh, Rock, no. People all that stuff. What is Maya? Like, what, the, like, what is oh, this? Dude. You know? I mean, if, I could, if I could find some of those reviews from back then, just people going, <laughs> what the fuck is he writing about? Who does he think he is? That's like really oh, dissing. Dear. You know, and it was just, but I was really committed and still am, you know, I was, it was like earnest, especially yeah. those early years of like reading a fuckload of shit. I mean, especially the era of focus. I was really into like the Hindu philosophy. Yeah. I got into the Bhagavad Gita, the Mahabharata, all the books of that. I was doing like Emerson and the, all the like metaphysical theosophists. No one, no one was doing that stuff at the time. In yeah. The in music and rock music and well maybe in rock music but not in metal it just it wasn't something in the genre yet yeah there was like bands that were touching into more lovecraft and like the occult yeah. like celtic frost and stuff but That's but they cool. weren't going that route that i i was like i was literally writing songs you know about like meditation practice and mm -hmm. shit you know it's like celestial yeah, was like you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like but you know, it, also the jazz stuff and all those other elements that yeah, were the sound. yeah. I mean, we were nerd. We were just always super yeah. nerdy and in just a super eclectic taste in music. Yeah. You know, just and also serious musicians. So it was like we were trying to kind of incorporate everything and make it the sound. I think also we got better at doing that and where we formulated something because the earlier years, if you listen to Cynic's demos up until Focus they were pretty straight ahead, almost kind of punk and crossover, more political lyrics. And like, it was really, I mean, I was talking, we're talking junior high, you know, your, your juvenilia. Yeah. It's like, we were, we started so young, you know, that's the thing too. The span's trajectory has been, we started young. I mean, we were literally kids. So it's, it's been, it's been a haul, but yeah, by the time focus happened, I felt like, okay here we are i know what what this like it was like suddenly i saw the picture of what this band was doing and saying and all the different ways it could be expressed and and getting back to rage and anger you know like something i've learned is that you know when you strip rage and and or anger essentially of, of a story of whatever story is behind it you just kind of feel the raw emotion which happens a lot when you have a sitting practice you have to sit through fucking a lot of uncomfortable states of mind yeah you start to see it's actually this really juicy energy and it's potent and it actually produces great art depression produces great art it's a really creative juicy energy and but you have to strip it of the story of you know what i mean just to feel the raw rage it's like and sometimes you know if you can put that into an artistic path, man, you make great work. You know, if yeah. you learn how to channel that, it's kind of an incredible tool. It's a good way to channel it. It's better than punching a hole in the wall. Exactly. Or punching somebody else or, or somebody just, else hurting, yeah. et cetera. So it's, it goes back to what we were talking about, you know, music being therapeutic and saving you, you know, it literally saves you if you use it correctly. Hold on. So, Hold on. Um, I wanted to go a bit into Sean, I want to talk about Sean Reiner and we'll talk about Sean Malone too. You know, I mentioned the jazz sound and all of that right from the get-go, you guys had that going on in your music, fusing that style with metal. And, you know, a large part of that has to do with, with Sean Reiner and, and the stuff he was into, Dave Weckl, the types of drummers he was listening to, aside from just, 
metal, right? And he was already thinking outside the box and trying to, how do I take this style and put it over this chunky, beefy sounding riff that's not a jazz riff? No one was doing that yet. And it's what made Focus so iconic as well. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you guys put the record out, it wasn't received so well. And then people started to discover it, grew legs of its own. You know, everyone from like like Thomas Hakey from Meshuga to, you know, some of the greatest drummers I can think of in metal, they all pay homage to Sean Reinhardt. When he passed away, uh, it sent ripples of grief through the whole community. And I was personally very upset. My friend JP, who told me about you guys when I was a teenager, devastated you know he's a drummer it's uh you know it was a, it was a huge thing and sean made a huge impact you know talk a bit about him and and your relationship together one of the ways that we connected was uh you had posted this this message about him on his birthday and you kind of talked about some things were left unresolved between you guys but you had this really deep spiritual connection almost and what was that like what did he mean to you well he, I loved Sean. He was my brother. He was my, he was like my, it was like my life partner in a way, you know, it's, um, it was one of those things where it's hard to even put into words what the relationship was like, because it was telepathic. It was beyond kind of personality in some ways, because our deepest connection was as musicians and it was, yeah, it was, a, it was, Sean was an anomalous person. He was an, a, a, an insanely prodigious talent. He was the kid that went to his first drum lesson, having already a background in piano, and the drum teacher plays some police song, you know, from Ghost in the Machine or one of the early police records where Stuart Copeland's playing like really cool, kind of busy-ish grooves over pop type music. And Sean, you know, and this is like, can only be explained through karma or something. He literally said to the teacher, I know what he's doing. And he sat behind the kit and started to play like him. And so he immediately had this understanding that you couldn't even teach somebody. You know what I mean? It's like, he was just born to play like, and be in music. And so just high, high level, highest level musician, highest. And as a drummer, like, I mean, I, I feel so blessed that I got to spend so many years making records and working with him so closely and living together. Because aside from Sean's, you know, aspects of his personality that were, you know, a lot of things there, a lot of self-medicating and deeper problems that, you know, be, got in the way and became things that actually affected our greater relationship, I feel you know, if you put all of that aside, at the end of the day, Sean was one of these people like, I mean, I felt so secure playing with him because he could do anything and he would never fail you. It was like you have absolute trust in this guy. His, his command as a drummer was at, at the level of a Weckl of any Kaluga. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was right there with the greats. And I don't, you know, I think certain drummers realize this, uh, especially in the scene that have kind of started to honor him. But it's really, I'm hoping over time, people more and more will realize Sean was as good as they get. As like, it's just the highest level of drummer, absolute finesse, can just do anything. And and yeah, him at Pete really, Powers, you know. He's, he's underrated. He's definitely- Oh my God. I don't- Yeah, and I he don't influenced- enough. <laughs> yeah. And so many drummers 
it's so like people don't realize like how much his, how his influence percolates the entire scene yes and kind of pushed it forward and i'm talking even with the whole gent revolution and yep. all the busy drummers in that I scene and uh I mentioned Thomas Hakey before and, and Meshuggah, you know, Meshuggah themselves helped find yeah. their own subgenre of metal. And yeah. they, they were very inspired by Focus when they heard Focus. Oh, dude. Like, like, yeah, I mean, that's right part now. of what helped get Focus out there was because it kind of bombed. People hated it. We had a few here and there saying we like you. But it was really, it wasn't until the internet, like 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, that yeah. word spread. And then all of our peers and caught people from our scene, like the Meshuggahs and all these bands were like, cynic, cynic, cynic. Yeah. And, and then my friend, you know, Kelly from Atheist was like t doing some reunion tour in 2007. And he's like, dude, you guys are like a cult band. I was like, what? Like, I mean, like <laughs> I had let it go. I was just like, this band's done to me. You yeah. know, I was, I yeah, was you heartbroken. You did all this other stuff too in the end. Oh yeah. I mean, I was a working oh, yeah. musician, man. You know, I was trying to survive and, but it was, it kind of blew my mind. Cause I was like, what people like us, <laughs> you know? Like, so I was, I was one of those kids in that early two thousands generation. And I think I probably first heard you guys when I was around 16, probably. So maybe somewhere around 2006, 2007, not, too long before you reformed and put out Trace and Air, um, which was an exciting event. I remember when you guys did reform and that news came out, it's like all my friends who were all into metal, everyone was talking about it. So don't underestimate that. You know, your friend was correct. You guys definitely became this sort of like iconic cult legend in a sense, like this band that came out and put out this like weird innovative record and there was only one and then they're just gone. And we're just like, that's it. We just get one. <laughs> So, you know, when you guys returned, it was a big deal. And, you know, talk a bit about that again and just go more into that. You know, you said your friend Kelly from Atheist and he started to really egg you on and say, hey, maybe you guys. Yeah, should well, it was like a series of synchronicities okay. where it was like Kelly called me one day and then another some fan from Russia sends me an email and he says, I had a dream. I saw you guys playing at a festival. Whoa. I swear it was like all these trippy things lined up over the course of like two weeks where Cynic just appeared by like a friend, this, this. Yeah. And, and then it was like, Oh shit. And I remember calling Sean one day and I was like, I think we're supposed to do this again. <laughs> and we were like doing Eon and had other things going on and living our best lives. And it was just like, okay and it was just weird how we just heated the echo do you know what i mean it was like the universe was just saying call to adventure yeah man exactly and, and it's doing that all the time if we're paying attention do you know what i mean there's like always little signs it could be just a conversation you hear walking down the street it's like you're we're all in on this yeah. you know what i mean and you have to really be really attuned to your environment to realize that um, you don't you don't know where it's going to take you either you know and like, yeah you don't know where it's going to take you and it's really that's like living in a real flow state where you can just like yes all that shit and listen to those little whispers and fucking things because that's yeah. like that's when your whole life opens up i'm that's serious that's kind of how i feel sitting here talking to you on <laughs> like like a, like a huge 
long list of series of events and things in my life led up to me even being in this position, having a podcast and that sort of thing. So cool. like, it's weird to me, you know, like I told you earlier, it is weird to me to be talking to you. Cause it's like, I was listening to you guys so young, like I said, and you know, I remember when you returned, I saw you guys on that tour. Um, when Trace and Eric came out, I don't know if it was the first tour you did, cause I, you probably did a headlining one, but I believe you opened for Devin Townsend who a huge fan of like, bow down i'm not even going to get into that i'll gush too much over Devin, but i saw you guys perform and i'll never forget it you know just going back to sean i remember his drum kit was turned to the side yeah it was right up front so i could i could see everything he was doing and i just nerded out the whole night it was a very exciting thing for people who were into this style of music and it's like wow cynic is back they're on the road they're touring they're playing this music they have new music that's cool yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was super exciting for us, really, to kind of get out there and do it again and and just actually, and thanks to people like you guys, I mean, we we ended up back in the scene. I mean, this was it. It was like suddenly we're playing shows and it's like, oh, wow, who are these people? <laughs> like, because, you know, our memories were bottles thrown at us and faggots, you know? Yeah, it's so I mean, we had a few good shows that were there's one from 1994 in Berkeley that actually I'm so glad the guy that shot that had three cameras and he did a whole edit. It's on YouTube now. I've seen it. And it's just like the probably the best moment from that era of that tour. It was definitely like the most memorable show where the people actually kind of were nice and shit. And so I'm so glad it got documented because it really marks a moment, you know. Things have changed so much since then oh you know, God. in the country, but like in, in the scene as well. And I was talking about this on the episode with Kalias, you know, as same thing, you know, and it was weird to us when her, when her and I were discussing this, we're just like, you know, when metal came out, it was supposed to be this rebellious thing. It was supposed to be an open-minded place for the weirdos to come and congregate. So it's, it's strange like to think that it was homophobic in all these ways not completely, but just enough to clearly make it feel like, well, I can't be out in this environment. And the yeah. same, you know, with women at first, they probably didn't feel very welcome in that environment. And then over time, metal just, it expanded. It started to include more people. And I think over time, we just started to kind of push out those types. Yeah. It thinks to just stay pure and stay brutal. It's like, well, you can go have your little scene over there. And plus subgenres, all of that. So it like fractures into all these different scenes and stuff. That's it, yeah. I know it's funny. I was talking to a friend about this recently, how the origins of old school metal, like Judas Priest, you know, like leather and spikes and shit yep. like that Euro thing. Okay. Like, but that was Ralph Halford, a yep. gay man fetishized. Yep. He literally brought that to the scene <laughs> yes. and suddenly it became a symbol of toughness, but it was a gay guy's vision. Yes. And he was, he was just into leather, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, he was a leather daddy, you know. Yeah, and I, I remember uh, in uh, the it was uh, the this tribute vi video that came out on YouTube after Sean passed away, and he he was talking about um, he was talking about how like you know people started getting into it, the music and complimenting him on stuff, and he would have these thoughts while still being in the closet, like man, if only they knew how like gay this metal is. This is some real gay metal that they're listening to right now. I know. It's so great. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting how it's kind of, it's obviously now you're seeing more people coming out. There's more, there's a lot of younger bands that are, there's openly gay. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you're saying, cause of all the sub scenes, it's just, 
it's come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really thanks to you guys, really. I mean, this is part of it is these the newer generations just kind of opened the door and just said, no, we're going to we're going to we're, we're going to accept everybody because tr- really metal is about rebellion. And that's what blew my mind. Although, you know, I don't know much about that guy, but when the whole black metal scene came after the dude, I guess for a minute when he came out, that black metal guy. Um, was this a recent thing or? No, like a while back. It was like, um, I'm like, man, you guys are all like trying to be satanic. I mean, this guy's embodying sodomist. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like all black metal should be gay. I mean, really, if you want to be an antichrist and against organized religion, you know what I mean? Like, but it's um, kind of silly. It's so silly, you know. But I, I understand. I definitely understand your hesitation in those early years and not wanting to come out. Um, and sure, maybe some of it was the shame and it's the homophobia. But for the other reasons you mentioned, like we don't want to be known as the the gay band and i understand that that was one of my hesitations coming out as well it wasn't totally shame yeah that's part of it you internalize the homophobia all that stuff but it was just like i don't want people to see me as just that you know like sure this is one facet of who i am and my identity and all that stuff but it's not all that i am i don't want to be like right and i don't want to be the gay painter or or the gay artist i just want to be the artist was it uh this guy from gall Yes. Yeah. That, that um. What was the band's name? Gorgoroth. Yeah. Gorgoroth. I remember this. Yeah. I remember when that when that broke. <laughs> so random. You're right though. It's like how how are you going to be involved in black metal and be like Sarah and then like you're homophobic. <laughs> it's, I know. Makes sense. Meanwhile, they're like wearing makeup and like, yes. You know, <laughs> it's it's like, I mean, that was part Guys. of like, the glam metal scene too. They yeah. just look like drag queens and they're like yes. homophobic. It was like what? Yeah, black black metal. They're like zombie drag queens, basically. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back into spirituality a bit, and maybe this can be like the kind of the last thing we touch on. So Traced in Air. When Traced in Air came out, there were definitely more spiritual themes. I felt like you you guys knew exactly what you wanted to do, and you wanted to continue what you were doing with focus, but take it further. Um, some things were toned down. There were still kind of metal elements in there, but I feel like you guys wanted to lean more toward a progressive rock sound almost a little more. And, you know, the, the spiritual themes on there. Talk a bit about that spirituality, why, you know, you connected so closely with music. And how do you come up with some of these song ideas? Like what, what made you want to write about meditation or like what is Adam's murmur about? Talk a bit about that and like well, yeah. language and forming the universe through words and speaking it into existence, <laughs> right? No, no, I mean, it's funny. I, I just was telling a friend of mine that like, I was like, we should hashtag every cynic post here forward as breath metal. Breath. Like the, the inventors of breath metal because, <laughs> because it kind of, it's, you know what I mean? It kind of, and it just makes sense to me because it's been informed by a meditation practice. A lot of this music has come from a literally silence has been the teacher. And it's so a lot of the music that the space around it, the, the way the, the feeling it evokes, I swear it's directly informed by like observing the breath and a lot of this meditation stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, we're not like, cause where people are like, are you a prog metal? Are you, I'm like, now I'm like, no, we're breath metal. We're breath metal. You know? I, I love it. 
I love it too because it rhymes with death metal. Yeah, so exactly. Like contrast. Yeah, it has a little bit of that in there, um, and it just makes sense. But yeah, I mean, with each record is always kind of marks a period of my life, and Traced in Air in particular, I was deeply obsessed. I remember with the Power of Now, um, Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you know that book. Never but, read it, but I'm familiar with him and. The New Age movement and all Yeah, that. he wrote a book. Yeah, it was called The Power of Now. I had already had Be Here Now, which is Ram Dass's famous book from the 60s, or 60s or 70s. And then, but The Power of Now became this like really important book for me. And I used to go on these adventures with my friend Amy, where we would just like try and be really present with each other. Like, how present can you be? You know, just like really look in each other's eyes and catch if your your thoughts are a little forward or backward. Like just really try and meet each other in this very direct way. The present challenge. How yeah. Present. And we would we did these road trips to the desert, and we would just cool. do all. Like, so a lot of the music kind of had that. I felt like it was because I was, I was, um, you know, I was in a relationship at that time. Um, and I was living with, with a boyfriend, but I had built a studio kind of in the back of his garage of this oh, house cool. into in LA. And um, so I had this incredible workspace. It was just like a killer environment to just isolate and work. And, and but I was really just like, it was a combination of, I mean, it was really a flow state. It was like that music just was coming through, man. There wasn't a lot for me to like, it wasn't difficult. It was just, it just happened. It was, and I felt like it was a lot of things kind of lined up with, with, with meditation practice, what I was studying and what, what I was interested in. And then also just, you know, being in a creative process, it kind of just like all came together. And Cynic, it was like, I realized cause we hadn't done it for 13 years, but it felt like just like riding a bike again. It was like, oh yeah, I know how to do this, you know? and. Yeah, this sound, it makes sense. Like it just suddenly, it just came, it was like in my DNA already, you know? So we we just naturally kind of fell into that. Obviously it just kind of organically came back into the picture and it became, you know, it really just took over. I mean, really where it was like, this is what we're doing. And we, we, we had a good run for a while. I think Sean over the years, drummer Sean, Malone always was like in and out because he was also a professor of music and actively yeah. teaching. So he, he, had had other, he had other projects too, right? I know he had Gordy and that. Yeah. Yeah. But those were more just like recording projects. I don't think they ever did shows or tours, but he, he was so immersed in his academic life and he was deeply involved in this, this certain pencil. He wrote a whole book about this pencil and he was just really obsessed with but theory and academia, like that whole world was, I mean, just a true intellectual. I mean, a yeah. real genius. Um, you know. I was going to ask actually a bit about Malone, because I definitely wanted to talk a bit about him. We're nearing an hour, but I think we're good on time still. Yeah, yeah. You talk um, a bit about what he was like as a person. And, you know, I know he, he committed suicide, if I'm correct. And you know, he clearly struggled with, with depression and dark things in him. And what was that like? And like, did that affect like Cynic as a band at all? You know, was it, was he difficult to work with or was he just 
put that off and just let his music flow out of him because he was such a brilliant bassist, man. And oh. talking about Trace and Air and like his parts, I think just really stand out so much on that record. Yeah. He was another like Sean Reinert. I mean, the two of them highest level, high at, at the highest level of musicianship. Malone was right next to it to me at Jaco Pastorius. I mean, he could do anything and he always did it with absolute mastery and precision flawless like technique flawless groove and feel incredible melodic sense like everything was there and it was just at the highest level like i mean an example would be if i would give him here's a song idea here's a demo of a song or a part he would send me back like okay here's 10 different ways i could approach this and he would turn it on its head it was just that <laughs> kind of it's not just like follow the guitar he was, yeah because he understood even Reiner would say Malone makes me sound better. I mean, it was like they both were just like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally drum, locked. Drummers, drummers and bassists usually tend to have that very. Yeah. Well, they had this weird, like, it's like a, hard to even understand their chemistry as a rhythm section. It's like next level, man. Yeah. It was really special. But Malone as a person, he was very, um, he was an, a, a real serious intellectual, like an academic intellectual kind of dude, very dry, very clean, very neutral. He didn't show a lot of emotion, just like super smart and just kind of introverted and somewhat withdrawn. He had a very peculiar sense of humor. So like, I, you know, sometimes I'd get his jokes and other times it was just like right over my head. I'm like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> but he, he was a real genius. I mean, I, he, he was a genius. I mean, like highest, like he spoke like fucking seven languages. He was like, like fluid in writing, reading, like he, his mind was insane. And wow. he's a classic case of almost that, the knew too much and that kind of level of intelligence lends itself a lot of times to some of the most depressed people, you know. I understand. <laughs> I completely get it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to where, and so he, his joy was, it was rare to see him smile. But it wasn't like he was a sad sack. He was just very kind of almost like robotic. Do you know what I mean? It was very kind of dry and clean and, um, and, just almost stiff in a way. It was just like, yeah. are you okay, bro? Like there you know? could have been some trauma and things, you know, there in the past. And of if, course, and if, always... he, you know, if, he, if he was very reserved too, he probably wouldn't have talked about many of that stuff too. Yeah. But you know, when you got him to open up, what would happen with Sean is this teacher would emerge and suddenly you'd be learning things that were just like, cause he had encyclopedic knowledge of everything. So he would just tell you things and you just like felt like you were in the presence of a master. It was just wow. like, wow, you know, like, how do you know that? Like suddenly he's telling you about some insect from Africa that fucking is now extinct, but did this one weird thing with a, I mean, like he's that kind of mind. Do you know what I mean? It's just really rich and deep and expansive. And if you got into music, it was endless. It was just like, he knew about, all the styles and genres and just like a master of musicology too. Yeah. So yeah, really to be in the presence and that's when he lit up and people that studied with him at universities, you know, he's taught at various universities. They all have these incredible stories. Like they were just like, 
his he was like a genius and he was so passionate and he changed their worlds you know what i mean because he gave everything to teaching he gave all of himself yeah. and he was one of those people that he gave all of himself to everything he did he didn't know how to half-ass anything it was always just like a hundred percent you know what i mean and i think when you live that way without any filter um he didn't know how to take care of himself to a degree and it just he just got tired man tired you know and he just existence is exhausting it's fucking exhausting man you know it is it is so that must have been crazy for you man that must have been really difficult i was thinking about this a lot uh the other day you know what it must be like to work with two two guys that you know so on, on such a deep level like brothers for over 30 years you know and to have them pass away within about a year of each other, you know, what was that like? It's like you lost like your your both your right hand your and your left hand man at the same time, yeah. and it just left you in this wilderness. And and you and it, it it naturally transforms the sound of what you're doing too because you're bringing new people into it. And you know, so we can talk a bit about the new record as well and this record, which is the first one to not feature them. Uh, the drumming is different. It's you can hear the influence of Sean, but it's not Sean. Yeah, the bass. It's it's cynic, but it's it's not. It's it's something new because right. Yeah. What yeah, was that like, man? To have to kind of oh, dude, orient dude. the entire ship that you're sailing, and your right and left hand man are now gone, and it's like, what the fuck do I, I do? I mean, I was completely ripped apart to the to the point where. I, I just, I don't even know how to put it into words, just yeah. annihilated, annihilated to the point where I didn't know, I still don't know who I am, but I mean, at back then it was just like, especially it was 11 months of each other. Sean died suddenly um, in January of 2020 and Sean Malone died suddenly in December of 2020. They were the bookends to my 2020, right? Wow, man. And we and were everything, everything else in that on year. top of that so overlay yeah overlay the collective insanity yeah. of this planet at that that year so yeah it just completely gutted me to the point where i actually thought i was supposed to die i thought i'm like should i should i kill myself now is it my turn like i literally had these thoughts that were just coming up like wow. because they were extensions of me and i had a falling out with reiner really he did with me because i i told sean I, sean and i were trying reiner and i you know he got he went down a rabbit hole that was difficult to witness and i said you got to get better brother and then maybe we can find a way to work together again and it didn't he didn't it, it didn't work for sean it got it made him angry basically and then we had this falling out and that was in 2015. so we kind of got through it in terms of settling everything with Cynic, but our, our relationship never healed. We never resolved that. I had to kind of resolve it internally, you know, because I never got to hug Sean again. I never got to, to connect with him, like as I'd known him for the past 35 years. So that last window was unresolved, which was very difficult for me. And then Malone, he was living with me, man. And, and he just split one day. He, we were working on the record, you know, and he took off and 
basically stopped communication with everybody. And his eventually, like his phone worked for like a month and then his phone was dead. And then it was like emails, you know, we were sending emails. It was like, and then people started getting things from him in the mail, like little things he was indicating, you know, he was kind of like saying, I'm getting rid of stuff now. And it was heartbreaking because on I was raging, thinking, what the fuck did you just do? You just bailed. We were working on the record. Where'd you go, dude? And then at the same time, I'm like, oh, no. What, what are you doing? You know? So I was in this very... And at the same time, I'm grieving Reiner. You know what I mean? He had died. So it was a lot, man. That's you know. Wow. And trying to like make a record and my labels like you've got to finish the record. I'm like, what? It's like, dude, my two, my two bandmates are like dead now. What the hell? Like, give me some time. Let me like give me some geez. dude down to the point where fucking I pushed through. It took everything out of me. I made Ascension Codes. I got Matt Lynch, who thankfully had made an, a song Humanoid with Pryor. He's a, a, a monster and a beautiful musician. And he showed up and he did his thing. And that record is so, I'm so proud of it. I think it's one of the great records it's we've awesome. made. It, it's, yeah, it's like, to me, it's something new and forward. And, and, and I had my friend Dave McKay, who's actually fellow fam, by the way, queer fam who played Keys. Um, he's a he's like a Moog synth guy who's really into vintage analog kind of key stuff. And he's done a lot of heavy duty gigs over the years and session work. And he had played with me for, for acoustic gigs. So we had a relationship already. And he's all about like that left hand synth bass. So he, it's like his jam, you know, so he can sound like a bass player. I love that. And it's just he did a, a beautiful job and my uh my friend misha plays like that his bass hand is just i love that it sounds like you're in the room with two people like, yeah exactly i'll we'll be doing all this crazy stuff with the melody yeah. with the one <laughs> hand and the bass yeah. and it just sounds like there's a bassist in the room and it's, it's just, insane I, love it. I know yeah and but yeah no it was it literally was the most difficult thing i've ever been through in my life i've it was i always use these words but it was a watershed moment that changed me forever and i i'm not the same since i've lost two extensions of my body my i had a whole moment for months where i was like phantom limb feelings where i was like i thought like where like I, things were missing. It was weird, man. Like a lot of unexplainable, you know, loss, grief is one thing and losing people, but suicide's a whole other layer, man. And it just, ah, I'm still, I'm still in it, man. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm still, I take it one moment at a time. Like I, my life has changed forever from this. And I just, I'm just grateful. I'm, I'm reaching a point now where I'm entering a state of gratitude for having had the opportunity to have encountered these two beautiful humans in this lifetime and to been able to, to make all this art with them. Like, yeah. what a fucking cool thing. What a yeah, it's blessing. An honor. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so kind of like stepping more into that than just like, ouch. Oh, fuck. Like I'm more in like, Oh wow, that was so beautiful. Fucking A, man. Yeah. I'm so lucky. I got to connect with these guys. This is deeper than any 
relationship I've ever had. It's so profound. It's so deep. Our music was really intense. We connected on so many levels. We lived together. We cried together. We did every drug under the sun together. A lot of acid and journeys and fucking <laughs> seeing each other. And do you know what I mean? It was just like explosive <laughs> dynamics, you know? And then the results of all of that and how that affected everyone else, you know, affected people like me, affected, you know, people across the world who encountered that art, who internalized it, who, you know, used it in their own way to go through whatever the hell else we were going through, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I'm just glad I'm still here and that I, I made it, I made it through because yeah. I, I literally, I was like, I thought I was supposed to die. I thought I was going to get hit. No, by not yet. No, yeah. Paul still has more chapters in the story. There's more. I for mean, Paul too. Yeah. And it's this point, it's like for them too, I feel like push carrying on for them, you know, it's like perpetuating their legacy, keeping what they did, which was so rich and they gave so much of themselves as musicians. It's like, I want to honor that, you yeah. know, yeah. and, and really kind of show up for, for them in that yeah. way. They died really young, you know, it's, so. it's the same, the same thing with, uh, you know, the death, uh, live group tribute group that you yeah. have as well. It's the same thing, you know, it's, it's the guys who were all in that scene and who were a part of it and they want, you know, that music to live on in some way in Chuck's memory because Chuck was young too, you know, 30, 34 is a 34 time to go out, man. Yeah. He was one of those people like Bruce Lee. They come in like a fireball and then they just change everything and they yeah. go really fast. And then the next thing you know, they're gone from the sky. But I know effects, you know, Sean, yeah. you know, Sean were very much quite the same way. They burned a little longer, you know, thankfully. Yeah. Chuck did, but they also burned out early, and that's just that's what happens sometimes, you know. I know it's just, so, you know, when we all get to die. Yeah, and most of us don't know when, unless we take no. our lives, and um, this is part of the journey for everybody. It's kind of like it's just part of being alive. It's what makes it so precious, actually. When you start to really take notice of that, you, you realize, holy shit time is running out this thing this thing could end at any moment yes. like but go up you know but it's also sort of an illusion yeah <laughs> time it's like what time is is right also oh yeah and the whole thing's like a dream yeah really the whole thing's like this trippy dream and and especially now in the age of ai and all this technology and yep. VR stuff it's like it's starting to kind of blur. We're starting to kind of live half in yes. virtual spaces and in this space. And yeah, look at this. You know what we're I doing know. right exactly. here. You know, it's like I know. Well, here we possible. are hanging out. <laughs> was not possible not that long ago. You know, so things. I know, man. Things are moving so quickly. The world is changing. Oh, dude. Very fast. Yeah, I mean, I think they're like already chipping kids. You know, it's like this thing's been going on. It's like already, like the yeah. cyborg is is here. Do you know what I mean? It's yes, like we, we do. We're definitely into that weird stuff. And I don't know how much time we have. We could probably go into some of that. Like, I know you're you're very interested in paranormal things and, you know, the UFO phenomenon. And Brent and I are as well. We have a huge section in our library about that. You know, we've read, we've read Jacques Vallée. We've read Richard Dolan. Oh, I love Jacques Vallée. John Keel and Charles Fort and all, and all that nice. stuff. Nice. Well, you know, it's something that has interested me for a very long time, you know, as long as I've been into your music, probably longer. So, you know, talk a bit about that, those interests. Those weird Yeah, I mean, we should have like almost at some point down the road, we'll, oh, have, another, yeah. we'll have a UFO <laughs> chat, you know, because yeah. that's deep. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can geek out about that yes. forever, and, man. And maybe, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't dive into it. Yeah, I mean, well, just give us like, you know, your, uh, yeah. your, 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 your concise uh, collection. Yeah, of, we have a, we have a couple theories of our own. What got but, you into yeah. the UFOs thing and, and what's your working hypothesis as of right now? Well, I, so I, I had, you know, it was in my family. My mother was like a believer essentially. And my aunt was like a follower of like Pita, like one of these channelers of an extraterrestrial. I had it a little in my family, but then I had experiences in childhood. I didn't remember them till my early twenties, but I had experiences with ETs. I literally was brought onto a ship. Yeah. I, I met a certain species of ET that told me she was my mother. I mean, I had really insane, interesting experiences and there's all these different views on, on this, but I do believe that my immersion into it over the past decade has been as a result of those childhood experiences. I pushed it away. It was like my memory was erased or something. Yeah. And then it came back and I was like immersed. Like I've just got to figure out what the fuck's going on with this world. And then you start to peel back the surface and it's just like an embarrassment of riches, right? There's so much information yes. out there. It's ridiculous. And a lot, a lot of people don't even look into it. You know, so many people dismiss the topic just out of hand. Um, you know, I think everyone in, into it is just a quack or a kook. I'm like, guys, there are a lot of very serious scholars and scientists, pilots, people in the government all types of people who are eternally fascinated by the subject write about it, study it. Oh, it's, it's, it's reality is strange as hell. It is, is way stranger than fiction. And yeah, into that shit, that's when you no, start. I mean, it, you know, know? <laughs> unfortunately, it was all this disinformation yeah. that's gone on, right? Oh, so they've, they've no. tried to, and Hollywood even made it taboo. Yeah. And so it became this thing like, oh, you believe in UFOs, you yes. believe in aliens. Yeah. And there's still that ignorance yes. in, in the general population. And, yeah. Well, there's, and level, like, there's levels to it because what I've found is most people I've asked, say, if you ask them, do you believe in aliens? I think most will say yes. That's one level to it. The next level is, do you think they've come here? That's like another level. Some you know, might get to that question and say no. Maybe they said yes, they believe in them, but they don't believe they're here. And then you know, the other questions that follow that is like, well, what do you think their purpose is? Like, why are they here? And that's the whole yeah. next level to the topic. But It's yeah, deep, man. man. It's it so deep. I don't know if you've seen that series. Speaking of like it always being hidden in plain sight. So, the, you know, and this is to me, it's like we all know the history. It goes way back beyond this. But the CIA dropped all their documents and stuff like in the past few years. Mm -hmm. And there's a Richard Dolan has a series on Gaia yeah. where yeah. he's breaking down the documents because basically those documents dropped. They're talking about the craziest incidents, all this insane shit. And it just blew over everyone's head because everyone's <laughs> ripping on fucking whatever narrative they're whatever narrative to. Is being peddled to them yeah it just it was like a blip on the radar it and it just like went away yeah oh yeah and aliens guys yeah, we were talking about I know. It, <laughs> it was like they they, they they announced it in like may or june of 2020 right during the the you know the middle of the blm yeah. riots yeah, and, of course and like you know covid it's so everything. strategic yeah, so strategic that's the thing they know it's like everything's done precisely and it's all keeping us distracted and you know what i mean it's yeah. like it's 
Yeah. And once you start to see through that and you start seeing, it's just like, you can't unsee it. You're just like, wow, this is really fucked up. Yep. There's no way to unsee it. That's there's no way to unsee it. Dolan is great. He's uh, I think one of the better researchers in. in He's this field. awesome. I want to yeah, get him on. I'm trying to get him on to talk to me. But dude, we'll... that would be amazing. He dropped off Facebook. Like we used to be Facebook friends, and we had corresponded a bit. You know, years ago when I was in college, he sent me a signed book and stuff. I used to listen to his old radio show back then. But That's he dropped cool. off Facebook because he got tired of the censorship and hates it. So understandable. I, I gotta man. like get like the correct email and just send an email out to him because you know i reached out to this podcast on twitter but he didn't answer there but i'll get him i'm gonna get him on that would be amazing yeah yeah we should have a proper geek out ufo sure. chat we can pick yes. certain people that we talk about and stuff yes. it's Let's so deep for sure. yes for sure well you know i'll pick up you know some of the more well-known books and stuff and we can talk about those guys but yeah let's let's end on this note like what is next for paul what's in the next chapter for paul what's next for cynic um i know you have solo records and stuff coming out i know you're in the studio uh yeah yeah so i mean i'm actually in miami right now i brought this record home i've been living nomadically for about nine months now I uh, gave my apartment to a friend who I had kind of been working with and she's from Berlin. And we kind of, uh, she just was like, you know, I was like, you take my place, we'll, and I just been floating around. And so I've been coming to Miami a lot. My folks are here, we grew up here, but I've been in California and been kind of floating, you know, there's a chance I might come to New York in August, actually. I'll let you guys know if I do, it'd be great to hang out. Um, But I'm in Miami because my friend Warren, who mixed Trace Denaire um, and Ascension Codes and Eon Spoke and other projects, acoustic stuff, he's a like a homie. And he basically um, built a studio down here that he was like, hey, we could do something. We could do this focus thing if you wanted in July. And I was like, I just kind of made it happen. So thanks to my friend Stephen, who kind of set the whole thing up and it's just a beautiful kind of a lot alignment that happened so i'm here mixing cynic's first remixing cynic's first album because 2023 is the 30th anniversary wow perfect too for this conversation and you know yeah about that record too and its impact so yeah i mean it's like again we started young you know so it's incredible to me it's like holy shit 30 years wow But it's kind of awesome because it's a full circle thing with Ascension Codes having come out and the guys. So I'm really just here to kind of give that album a fresh coat of paint and kind of bring it into the now in a really beautiful and timeless way. You know, just like really push it forward and make it really present. And and it's just it's it's really exciting. So that's this month. And. In the background, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm working on a whole world for Ascension Codes that's kind of being developed. There's a bunch of elements. I want to eventually do this like immersive tour that involves a film thing and a kind of an art film, like doing it more like dome theaters type spaces and stuff, like a little bit different than a rock and roll show. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the focus stuff. If I'm going to put a band together and do reunion dates, I've been really reluctant to do any shows or tour. I just, yeah, just want to I be, you know I what I mean? You man too. You take your time. Yeah. And just, it's, it's going to be weird too. I think to do it without, you know, those two involved. It's so, yeah, it has know. to be like an honorary tribute yes. thing to them. And that's why it's happening. It's about, you know what I mean? Their legacy. 
Um, it's so cute. I'm hearing my friend's dog. I think she's like dreaming. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it, but she's so cute. She's, she's dreaming. Yeah, so she's making these trippy sounds. I heard. I heard like a little bit of something. I didn't. know Yeah, she was barking and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, no, we yeah, no, I just it. heard her. Yeah, we have our dog here. He's kind of laying down, down but tired. once in a while he'll like interrupt the show. Oh, nice. Like, what kind of dog? Period. He's like. He's got like some chihuahua in him a little bit, but he looks more terrier for sure. He's kind of sleepy right now. He's picking sleepy. Him up. Oh, this is oh, radar. Oh, yeah. cute. It's our little gaby. Oh. <laughs> he just He's, turned seven uh, in April. Mostly a good boy. Mostly. Oh, <laughs> sweet. So, yeah, he looks pretty tiny. How, how much does he weigh? 30, 35 pounds. He's schmied. Oh, okay. That's pretty good size. He's a schmedium dog. He's not That's quite medium. <laughs> not quite small, not quite medium. That's cute. So in between. Yeah, they said Chihuahua mix when I got him at the rescue, and he just kept growing. Wow. It's like, I hope he stops yeah. growing before he gets too big. But luckily, Yeah, they say it's the paws, right? You got to keep an eye on those paws. That's how they... Well, his ears looked huge when he was younger. That's why I named him Radar. That's why we named him Radar, because like, his head was still kind of small, but his ears were massive. <laughs> Oh, grow into them. He's a good boy. Yeah, no, pets are oh. something wonderful. Yeah, we're, but, I'm definitely a dog person. <laughs> I guess sweet. you know we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up there. Look, look, man, I'm excited for the things you're gonna do. I'm excited, you know, if you do go back on the road, the immersive experience thing sounds really interesting. I'm curious what you're gonna do with that. Yeah, but, like you know, like I said, Paul's journey's not over. There, there's more story to tell. He's got this whole new chapter he's got to enter now, and you know, and do it just do it for Paul too. Don't do it just for Sean and Sean. Although I'm sure they're uh, grateful to be honored, but Cynic is also Paul. It is not just them. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's um. It's yeah. I mean, it's that's what it is. You got. It's just trying to kind of. I take it one moment at a time, you know, and I'm really just kind of showing up and listening, trying to listen, heed the echo of of the universe, and like, okay. I don't know what's next. I'm not a great planner, but I'm just going to see what happens, you know, and the way that you reached out and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do this. You know, you guys seem really cool. You know, it's like, I'm really just rolling like that. <laughs> it's the universe, man. I don't know how things work out the way they work. But what I've found through doing the show though is, and this is like a universal principle. Like if you don't knock, the door's always closed. If you don't ask, the answer's always no. That's so it. you you got to put the work in and then ask the universe and then hopefully the universe will you know give you what exactly what you need when you need it and absolutely so man cool. that is so cool you guys are so so cool i'm so oh, thank you so you much cool. dude Please, thanks. this is this was an amazing conversation yeah. i know i didn't say too much but that's because i wanted to let daniel keep so out <laughs> But when I we talk UFOs, you held space for Dan. Yeah. He held space for me. So I'm more the music nerd than him. I know he's got a black crown initiate shirt on, but I like <laughs> we're, we're friends with them. Uh, my friend Andy is. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're an amazing band. Go tour with them. They're fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I am familiar with them. I'll do some yeah. listening, though. I don't know their stuff. So we're, we're friends with them. We went and saw them play in Florida, actually. Uh, Orlando. Couple, Orlando a couple months ago, hung out and stuff. So that was how Brent got the shirt. But um, he was like, I'm going to put the background shirt on because it's like one of the only metal bands I know. So <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> but he, I'm more the music nerd. So for sure, this episode is more like 
for me. <laughs> that awesome. Well, yeah. when we get more into like politics and science and, and things like that, you know, Brent definitely has more to say. <laughs> Background in biochemistry. Background, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Cool. But well, um, yeah. anyway, thank you everyone for joining us. Thank Don't forget to like, yeah. subscribe, All the things. share. Um, Paul, where can our viewers find you? Yes. Um, Instagram, you know, it's funny. My Facebook just got blocked like a month ago. I don't know what happened if I like did something wrong, but You're I haven't a post on it for a month, but Cynic's Facebook is active and my a friend in Europe is helping me post stuff because he has, I made him a moderator and he could access it. So like, I can't even access my socials other than my own Instagram right now. So, and sure. Cynic Instagram. So, but, um, yeah, so just all the usual places uh, at Paul Mosfidal, um or Cynic, Cynic Official. Um, and, uh, yeah. I'll put links in the description, too. For right, sure. Guys. And, again, thank, thank you, you so for much. listening. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was all good. Seriously, thank you so much for coming on and for having this conversation with me and for your art and your beautiful soul and you're a beautiful man. Thank oh, you. For you, you guys too, man. I look forward to meeting you guys in person. This will be fun. We'll hang yeah, it's going to be awesome. All yeah. right, guys. Thanks for watching. This was episode 70. We'll be back with another one. Take care.